Have you ever had the opportunity to be around a tired child? I have as a father. And I remember times when Elizabeth and Nick would be so tired, cranky, inconsolable, and they'd be on that kitchen floor flailing and arching their back, and any mention of help by me would meet resistance. Or if I said the word nap, they would say, I don't need to rest, right? But I, as a father, knew that their normal, everyday life, their routine made them tired. So eventually, I would scoop them up. They'd get even worse for a moment. But eventually, they'd start, the crying would slow down, and their muscles would relax as they fell asleep face down on my chest face down in their father's arms. And that's what Christ wants us to do. You see, rest is a natural, and it's required for our physical bodies. But for our spiritual lives, it's a requirement as well. You see, John 4.24 says that God is spirit. And Genesis 1.27 says that God made human beings in his own image. So we are spiritual beings. We were created by him and for him, and he knows exactly what each one of us needs. And Jesus says in Matthew 11, verses 28, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, And the burden I give you is light. Now, Jesus was saying these words as he was preaching and teaching in the towns around Galilee. And there were students there of rabbis. And rabbis had their own unique interpretation of God's law. And as a student, you had to follow that interpretation. Live your life in such a way that measured up to that standard. And what was the result? Jesus said right here that... They were weary and burdened, and they couldn't carry the load. They couldn't measure up. They were always falling short. Does this not happen to us today? Are we exempt from living life that way? Do we not get confused sometimes of what standard we're trying to follow or who we're trying to follow? We do tire. Life can tire us out. But usually, we don't go running to him. We do not go face down into his care and his nurturing. And I think that's because we equate rest as inactivity, that things don't get done. But physiologically, our systems are going and regulating and things get reproduced. And one of the things I like in music, they, the composer will use rest to bring out a different part in the composition so that we can hear it. Well, Jesus wants us to rest so that we can hear the message that he's trying to tell each one of us. Listen to David in Psalm 62, who understood exactly what it meant to rest in God and how much he valued that. Listen to this. He says, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation He is my fortress, and I will never be shaken. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He's my mighty rock and my refuge. 
Do you wait quietly on the Lord so that your soul can find rest as David did? Do you realize that who you are and what you can be depends on God? And who do you put your hope in or what do you put your hope in? And does it hold you up when just living normal life can shake you up? Jesus' simple statement to us today is come to me. And for some today, coming to him may mean exploring this whole relationship thing with him for the very first time. And I encourage you to do that. Don't leave if that's something you're wrestling with. Go over to Theater 7 and talk to somebody about what that means and begin that relationship and understand how to rest in him. And for others, you may call him Lord already, but is he the Lord of your life? Or are you letting life and the demands of life be your teacher and your leader? He says to all of us this morning, come to me. And I like what he says after that. I, not you, I will find rest for your soul. May we desire as David did and say, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. Well, the posture of face down, in addition to signifying rest, it's also an expression of humility. It's physically acknowledging the superiority of another by laying yourself down in their presence. This is a posture or an attitude that we should bring as we worship God. See, humble is being honest about who I am, a sinful, flawed human being in the presence of a perfect and holy God. I think one of the best scenes that captures this from the life of Christ is found in Luke 7. You can read along with me up here on the screen. So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. And she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. In this scene, there are two very different postures. The first group that's posturing it is the host, Simon the Pharisee, and all of his guests. And they're all upright, swelled chests, very proud, contained, composed, a little smug about their own morality, feeling a little more holy than the average guy certainly superior to that woman who crashed the party uninvited. The other posture is held by the party crasher, the town hooker. And she's broken, contrite, on her face at Jesus' feet, ashamed of the condition of her soul because of the moral choices that she's made and overwhelmed with gratitude by the forgiveness that Jesus offered her. In other words, She is humble. A little bit later in Luke 7, Luke records that all the party guests and, of course, the host were very shocked and offended by this woman's very presence and by her extravagant display of gratitude. And Jesus responds to all the muttering and murmuring by telling a story about two guys who owed two vastly different amounts of debt. 
both the debts were canceled. And the punchline of the story was, you know, if you've been forgiven much, you love much. If you've only been forgiven a little, you love little. The message to the Pharisees and the rest of the dinner guests was this. You know, you've acted like you didn't need me or appreciate my presence since I walked in. Apparently, you don't think you need me much or you don't appreciate what I have to offer you since you aren't willing to show me much love. And this woman has risked what's left of her already questionable reputation. She set aside her personal dignity. She's shown no concern about what anyone else thinks of her except me to let me know what she thinks of my love. She is very aware of how much she needs me and how much she has been forgiven. And because of this, she is willing to humble herself and go face down to express her love and gratitude in an extravagant way. When we gather to worship, I think it's good to reflect on what what posture do I have? What posture do you have? Are you guarded, distant, maybe feeling a little bored, maybe feeling inhibited, afraid of expressing your heart for fear of what the person next to you will think? Maybe you think you're a little more holy than the average guy, and so this doesn't impact you all that much. I'd like you to maybe take a different posture today and be aware of just how much you've been forgiven. Being willing to humble yourself, to go face down and make an extravagant display of thanks for what Christ has done for you. It's another reason why communion is so important each week. Not only is it a statement of faith, and and it is that, it also gives us an opportunity to reflect on how much we have been forgiven. It allows us time to humble ourselves and and offer our own personal expressions of love and thanks for what Christ has done for us. If you're like me, you were blessed with a strong-willed child. You know, the interesting thing about strong-willed children is they believe they're in charge of the family. They really think that they know better than mom and dad. And when it comes time to make decisions or there's a, a two wills come together, they think, that's just mom and dad. What do they know? It's our job as parents of strong-willed children to help them surrender their will to ours because we do know what's better for them, especially when you have a 10-year-old trying to run your house because they know what's better, right? But it's our job as we prepare them to go into the world that they surrender their will to who knows best. In Matthew chapter 19, a young man came up to Jesus and he had a question. And he also had a strong will. And he said, Jesus, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And, and what Jesus said to him was, obey me. That's what you need to do to get eternal life is obey me. And he said, I've got that down. He didn't understand what Jesus was saying was, I need you to surrender all of your life to me. And so when Jesus told him that he needed to surrender all he owned to God, everything, he went away sad because he wasn't ready to do that. 
Because that which was external that he wasn't willing to surrender was a mirror to what was internal. It shined a light on what was inside of this young man, his strong will that he did not want to surrender. You know, oftentimes that which is external gives a little bit of indication about what's on the inside. Just like you can look at your checkbook and you'll know what do you find important in regard to your finances. Just look and see how you spend your money. Look at your day planner and see what you do with hour after hour after hour. And by looking at your day planner, you'll be able to determine what's important to you in regard to time. And God says, surrender all of your life. Like we just sang, this kind of love demands my soul, my life, my all. One day Jesus was teaching a bunch of his followers and he looked at them and he was telling them about what it took to follow him, what they needed to consider in order to follow him. And he said to them in Luke chapter 14, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. He's not just talking about externals. He's also talking about internals. He's talking about surrendering our will to him. Everything. Jesus says, let me have your life, your soul, your all, everything. Let me have all your stuff and I'll show you how to live with that. I'll show you how to go through life with that. I'll show you just surrender it all to me. Maybe you haven't ever taken that step across the line and completely and totally given your life to Christ. Maybe you've been following him for years Christianity, being a Christ follower, is not something you get on a 90-day trial. It's not something God says, hey, just try it out for a little while, see if you like it. Following Christ is not like dipping your toe in the pool and deciding then if you're going to go for a swim. Following Christ means giving Him everything, surrendering everything to God. The Apostle Paul was a man that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And when he wrote about giving his life to Christ, he said this in Galatians 2, verse 20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And that's the point that God wants us all to come to, where we realize it's not about me. My stuff's not my stuff. What's in here, it's all surrendered and given completely to him. Just like our strong-willed children, just like this young rich man in Matthew 19, the greatest crisis we'll face as a follower of God is surrendering our will to the Creator. Being face down means saying, God, it's all yours. I give it all to you. When Joshua met up with God in chapter 5, and it says, He fell face down to the ground in reverence and said, What message does my Lord have for his servant? What message has God had for you today? What's been said, prayed, sung, experienced that's caused you to feel and experience God and the message he has for you? 
Some of it may just require a decision. Some of it may require an action where you give forgiveness or give something up that's not good for you. But God says, come face down before me and surrender your will to mine. May you go this week and surrender everything over to your creator.